Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese. All right. Also, we have a huge <laughs> special thanks to our patrons on Patreon, who are John Donna, Stephanie Elt, and Terry Needleman. They give us a little extra financial support that helps us keep the lights on here at Musicals with Cheese. If you would like to join them in supporting us and get tons of fun perks, such as patron-only commentaries, our episodes a day early, and tons more, just follow us on Patreon. Throw us a couple dollars. Andrew, do you want to talk about our affiliate link? Yeah, sure. We also have an affiliate link. Uh, so if you want to buy anything on Amazon, you click the link and you can buy whatever you want and we'll get a cut of it. Very nice. Doesn't cost you any extra. <laughs> All right, let's get on to the real show. Hello, I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater more. And today we have a returning guest. A returning guest. A wonderful friend, a kind person, and one of the most talented musical theater creators out there. It is Christy Esterly, a.k.a. Musical Hell. Hello, hello. <laughs> We're so glad to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. I like that if they're a returning guest, they, they don't get the very special guest intro. They get returning <laughs> guest. I'm not special anymore. Very nice of you, Jess. You're fantastic. I think you're special. That's fine. Aww. How are we all doing today? Christy, how are you? Doing very well, thank you. Quite well. And Andrew, how are you? Is this where I try to come up with a joke referring to the show we watched? Exactly. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I got one for this. What do you have, Jess? There we go. It was that easy. All right. She's feeling like hell because today we are talking about Hades Town. One, two, one, two, three. Hades 
Town, The Myth, The Musical is a 2016 stage musical adaptation of the 2010 folk opera concept album by the same name, by Aeneas Mitchell. It premiered off-Broadway at New York Theatre Workshop on May 6, 2016, and ran through July 31st, following productions in Edmonton and London. Um, the show premiered in previews on Broadway in March of 2019. The show of... The show was developed for the stage and directed by Rachel Chavkin of Natasha Pierre, The Great Comet of 1812. Like the original concept album, Town tells a version of the ancient Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, where Orpheus journeys to the underworld to rescue his fiancée, Eurydice. It received generally critical, like, positive reviews. Um, from the New York Times described the off-Broadway production as inventive and gorgeously sung. As well, the new Broadway production has gotten even better reviews. So, Christy, Andrew, and a what bunch is of your crap ton of Tony Awards? <laughs> yes, or yeah, well, Tony Award nominations. nominations. I'm sorry. <laughs> it hasn't won it better get a metric ta- crap ton of awards because I'm still bitter about Great Comet. <laughs> Fuck yes, this better make up. Rachel Chavkin deserves her Tony. I think Dear Evan Hansen should just win again this year. <laughs> Bite your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like it's very clear that we're all very positive about this show. Definitely. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Greek mythology and, you know, obviously a huge fan of musicals. And I love folk music because it has a lot of the same storytelling elements that draw me to music theater. So this is like, you know, right in my sweet spot of, you know, things that just make me giddy and happy. I love concept albums. Uh, Jess knows that. Concept albums are good. (laughs) And this is based on a concept album. And I also like the bluesy folk music style as well. Um, And mythology is awesome. So it's like everything is great. (laughs) (laughs) And those who follow me for a long time will know that one of my earliest short films was actually an adaptation of Orpheus and Eurydice. So this story has like that very deep connection to me. Of course, it's it's got something to do with Jess. Good God. (laughs) Of course it does. Uh, Yes, of course. And as well, like Rachel Chavkin, like watching her grow from Great Comet, like the thing she brought to that show that she also is bringing to this one, she is redesigning what exactly a director does on Broadway stage. She's very inventive. Um, She does amazing things with, you know, sets and lighting and, you know, uh, using the cast in various ways. And it's just wonderful to watch. It's an amazing experience. And currently the show is nominated for 14 Tonys, Best Musical, Best Performance of an Actress, Best Performance of an Actor, Best Performance of a Supporting Actress in a Feature Role. Um, best original score, best book of a musical, best direction of a musical, best choreography, best scenic design, best costume design, best lighting design, best sound design, and best orchestrations. Pretty much the only thing it's not nominated for is Reeve Carney as uh, best actor in a musical. And yeah, there are people who are pissed off about that. So <laughs> how do you feel about that? I think... You know, I can understand understand why they're unhappy about it because it's got all these awards, but he's getting left out. But at the same time, I kind of get it because I feel like, you know, Orpheus is kind of, you know, not the big personality in this musical. I mean, Eurydice, I think, has this great journey. And then you have, you know, Hades and Persephone, who I think are if you know, I think are the real stars of the show, if you want my honest opinion. And then, of course, you have Hermes, who is like, you know, your narrator MC. um, 
you know, guide character. So they kind of draw the attention a lot more. And those performances obviously will draw a lot more attention. I agree with you. In fact, I think the most brilliant thing about the adaptation to a different medium is the fact that they took the story away from Orpheus and Eurydice and kind of put the framing device through Persephone and Hades. Yeah, it's kind of this parallel journey between these two couples and seeing them go through, um, you know, go through their relationships and how they're similar um, is really one of the better parts of the show. Andrew, what do you think about, like, the character use in the show? Well, I don't know much about the Tony nominations, but it looks like everyone got nominated in the whole show. I'm just reading here 14 nominations. I, I don't know. How am I supposed to feel about that, Jess? <laughs> <laughs> you should feel pretty goddamn good. Best choreography, they definitely did spin a lot. I liked it. I loved the spinning. Um, they, yeah, but they've also got some fantastic stuff. Um, I just saw uh, where they did Living It Up on Top on Good Morning America, and yes. you know that had some amazing work in it. Um, Wait For Me, um, which they've expanded from the original um, Off-Broadway Live album. I guess not the original, second album. Um, they've added some amazing stuff that they're doing with the lighting, which you know looks really good. So there are definitely some really good um, theatrical moments in there. Yeah, they did a great job with it. It deserved... Probably all of these. I don't know its competition, so I can't say. Well, I know Diva is not a fan of Be More Chill. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the other four uh, nominees are what? Tootsie, um, Ain't Too Proud, Beetlejuice, and The Prom. There is, guys, because there is one more. So, I mean, and honestly, I think it's got to be good, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's getting uh, mixed reviews. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> I liked it. Jess likes it. <laughs> I know, like one of Jess, One of Jess's first films was Beetlejuice, actually. So, <laughs> all right, Christy, give me yeah. like the full plot synopsis oh of my God. this new version of Hades Town. Just laid it on her. <laughs> okay, now this is my wheelhouse, okay? Um, and I'm doing At the Source right now, which is also, you know, summarizing musicals pretty succinctly or, you know, source material from musicals. But anyway, basically, um, this is the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, which if you go back to the original myth, Orpheus is this um, great musician. Um, in most versions, he's the son of the god Apollo and our, or Calliope, who is one of the muses. So he has crazy mad musical talent. Um, he falls in love with Eurydice, um, and Eurydice dies, um, so he goes to the underworld to get her back, and Hades, you know, agrees because he, uh, Orpheus is such an awesome musician that he, you know, gets everybody to fall in love with him and do what he wants. So Hades says, okay, you can take her back, but you have to walk all the way back to the world of the living and not look back to see if she's following you. And depending on, um, which version you go on, either he, you know, looks back about halfway through because he doesn't trust she's there, or he gets right to the uh, threshold of the gates of hell and then turns around, but she's still behind him, so it doesn't count. So that's the myth. <clears throat> and um, what Anais Mitchell has done is she's kind of reframed this in this kind of semi-post-apocalyptic Great Depression. It's one of those things that's kind of then and now and every time all at once. And she's reframed the underworld as Hades Town, which is this industrial dystopia ruled over by Hades, who is a robber baron who works all his um, people to death, building this huge wall around his kingdom. And Eurydice goes down there because up on Earth, she up on 
uh, top. She's starving and cold, and she wants money and security. And so Orpheus has to go and get her back. That I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Uh, I should also explain that the reason why it is so cold and miserable up on the surface world is because Hades' wife, Persephone, who brings the spring and summer uh, and, you know, helps the seasons turn, he's been kind of bringing her back home early because he's jealous and afraid he's go- she's going to leave him. And so, you know, the spring and summer have been being shorter and shorter, and now there's this big famine. Yes. There's also trains now. <laughs> yes, uh, there's a train that goes between Hades Town and the surface world, and it's a big motif in the show. I love and in the trains. music. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't everybody go through that train phase when they were a kid? I mean, at least I boys did. I think most girls engine, did. <laughs> a whole Thomas the Tank Engine set, and I would make my- little short films about trains. Some of my <laughs> first short films were actually about trains. So my boys this- were all over Thomas the Tank Engine at preschool, <laughs> so. <laughs> So this show really resonated with me. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Um, I'm I'm sick of your shit, Andrew. Um, So we have this framing device of our Hermes telling us this through his point of view. And he is so wonderfully played by Andre DeShields, as well as in the 2016 production by Chris Sullivan, who is also known as Taserface from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I did not know that. Yeah, I learned that today, too, and I was he like... He was Taserface. Okay, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> he's also on This Is Us, which is another, like, yeah, he's pretty big. Why now. did Taserface not get a music number? <laughs> but either way, we both have that framing device and the Fates, which are three ladies that occasionally interrupt in the story and give, like, the inner monologue and thoughts and reflection of things. Um If I'm going to give any critique about this show, it would be that it is a little confused at the fates between Hermes and the fates. Like, who is really the framing device of the show? And I feel like that was a much bigger problem in earlier productions, and it has been lessened as it's gone to Broadway. It's Hermes. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, but you kind of have to have a little mythological background to understand it, because Hermes is, um, you know, what they call a psychopomp. He's the person who, or he's the figure that guides people between the world of the living and the world of the dead. So yeah, he is kind of our messenger guide character between these two worlds. And then the fates, you know, obviously were the people who, or the figures who set everybody's destiny and could not be gainsayed by anybody, including the gods. So yeah, they're the ones kind of in the background, you know, kind of whispering in people's ears and kind of pushing them in the direction that destiny leads them. That's I'm what sorry, I was going to say. Yeah, you're going to hear me. <laughs> you're going to hear me myth geeking out a lot about this. I'm sorry. Well, what do you think of Hades? Uh, what do you think of Hades in this show? Is it accurate? It's... Or is he too much of a villain? Well, it, like a lot of versions, I think Hades gets villainized um, in this one quite a bit because, again, you know, he is partially, you know, the god of the dead. But at the same time, they've reframed him as, you know, this capitalist tycoon who is, you know, building this empire, trying to protect, well, specifically, uh, you know, protect his relationship with his wife um, and, you know, kind of building that building this wall around him to keep him and her safe and, you know, of driving her away in the long run. Um, so, yeah, there he is kind of a bad guy, but he's also pretty well nuanced, I think, for a villain. Um, and, he's but, sympathetic. Yeah. 
Yeah, he is a sympathetic He's definitely character. better than like the Disney version of Hades. He's not. You know? He's not like, like a. He's not like a hard bad guy like um, Disney, the Hercules Hades in the Disney version. Um, but he's not like you know. Um, in Greek myth, he's probably the most sympathetic of you know the three main gods, which I would say Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades. Uh, if for no other reason than the fact that he is not running around trying to stick his dick into anything that moves. That is true, which both Zeus and Poseidon are doing frequently <laughs> yes see percy jackson <laughs> wait they wanted to have sex with percy jackson i gotta go no. see this <laughs> nope, nope okay nope, nope. out of all the characters who do we think we relate to the most between hades hermes orpheus you were to see persephone and the fates well you know me so definitely hades because you're a capitalist you're a bit of an asshole and you get jealous really easily i gotcha yep absolutely you got all you nailed every point <laughs> What about you, Jess? Um, Persephone, I want to be everyone's fun wine aunt. <laughs> I got to go with Persephone, too, because, um, you know, I think she has I, the best perspective of things, you know, understanding that, you know, everything, you know, lives and dies in this cycle and... You know, that things are dark, but things can also get better again. And yes, because she is the fun wine aunt and because Amber Gray is the best person in the world. So and her performance brings a lot to it, like the nuances and like the oh jazz goodness. growls that she adds to like some lines, like sh her physicality alone. Like if they're ever going to make a biopic about like Eartha Kitt casting. Oh, Amber my goodness. Gray, yes. <laughs> She brings an innate sexuality without being sexual, which is right. another thing about her performance that I really like. Yeah, definitely. Orpheus is boring in this. Yes, I agree. And I feel like in other past productions, like the 2016 production, he was less boring. I just don't think um, Reeve Carney is that talented a stage performer. Well, I think also they've kind of moved him from what I understand from being, you know, kind of this driven artist to being somebody who's kind of a bit more out there mentally. So he's yeah. kind of a bit bit of a space case and yeah, it is kind of difficult to, you know, bring a lot of new bring a lot of nuance to that. He kind of like zones out too, like yeah. of the show. Like he just leaves the show for a bit. Yeah. Uh, like at the beginning. I don't know. <laughs> I gotta write my song. He's pulling full Roger. Well, <laughs> yeah. he's so focused on this song um, because he's convinced that this song is going to bring spring back. And, well, you know, I depending mean, on how you interpret the ending, that's more or less what happens. But at the same time, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, that's nice, honey. But, you know, I'm cold and hungry right now. So what are you going to do about it? You can't write a song and help your your girlfriend at the same time apparently he can't <laughs> i like that though like the fact that orpheus is kind of get dumbed down character wise gives a lot of nuance to eurydice where in the original greek myth she's kind of a plot device she walks into a field gets bitten by a snake and is sent to the underworld and dies yes <laughs> um there's also a kind of similarity between um the film orphe by jean cocteau who you may know did um the version of beauty and the beast in the 1950s both films are very fantastic but in that version yes orpheus is also you know this hyper-focused poet who kind of ignores his wife and it comes to regret that so there's that element going on in there in this one as well so why does uh, Eurydice die in this one? I, I didn't quite get that. Basically, Hades seduces her is the long and short of it. 
um, she's cold and he's hungry and she's hungry and she's kind of fed up with Orpheus not, you know, helping her out with that. And then Hades comes by and he sings this magnificent villain song called Hey Little Songbird, which if you listen to nothing else from this musical, listen to that because Patrick Page and his amazing bass voice will rock your world. And he kind of, you know, offers her this way out, you know, saying that, you know, she would be beautiful. She would shine like a diamond down in the mine. And, you know, he could he could use a girl like her and basically offers her um, this opportunity to be, you know, protected and secure, which is, you know, kind of very tempting to her at that point. And it actually gives her an active role in her own damnation, which is something that would have been an issue for anyone else adapting this material, like right. giving Eurydice an active participation in her own story. And I like how, you know, they allow her to make that choice, but then they also have the fates come in and say, yeah, you can blame her for doing this, but what would you do if you were hungry and starving and desperate? I mean, you can sit there when you're in your comfortable seats with your full belly and say, you shouldn't do that, but what's going to happen to you when the chips are down? Both the chips are down is a metaphor, but I also love that it's a sonic device that the Hades uses to simulate the sound of a rattlesnake. Right, which again is a great mythological parallel because it's the rattles of the snake that, you know, kills Eurydice. And, you know, it also has that um, Judeo-Christian parallel of the serpent tempting Eve in the garden. It's all very good. <laughs> it's all very symbolic. <laughs> this... Um, Anais Mitchell has done a lot of interesting crossover with, um, you know, Greek mythology and American religious motifs. Uh, you can hear it in uh, the second uh, version of Way Down Hades Town after Eurydice's in the underworld, and she's kind of realizing this wasn't the best idea. And the fates are saying, "Yeah, but you're kind of stuck with it." And they kind of twist all these traditional um, African American spiritual imagery, like you know, crossing the river and laying down your burdens and laying his hands on you and things like that. And it's I think it's a really neat way of, you know, expressing the divinity of these characters in, uh, you know, kind of an American folk setting. I think the setting is one of the strongest parts of this whole show. Yeah, but I have a, tr a hard time dealing with it within the connection to the story. Like, I, I'm hard finding the connection. I hope one of you can explain that to me, like, between Great Depression and Greek mythology. Uh, there isn't one. That's, that's why... <laughs> It's just it's just juxtaposed. Again, the time frame, I think, is very fluid because one of the first things Hermes says in Road to Hell, he says, don't ask where, don't ask when. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of part Great Depression. It's kind of post-apocalypse. So it's, you know, in this kind of almost mythological setting. It's like a... Um... It's like a steampunk kind of idea, basically, where, like, it doesn't matter what the setting is. It just, it, it, it exists. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't have the pretension of steampunk, which I appreciate. Well, that's just because it's not, like, Victorian, so. Yeah, I'm not sure what you would call the 1930s version of steampunk. Would that be, like, gasoline punk or something? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Coal punk. Coal punk. Yeah, gasoline there you go. punk is the real world right now. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, but today's show is 
brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese to get started today. So, this week we are suggesting Orpheus of Greek Mythology by James Gardner and narrated by Paul Spera. No one knows why we're recommending that. Completely unrelated. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese for your free audiobook. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. All right, folks, let's get you back to the show. Now on the road to hell, there was a railroad line. And there were three old women all dressed the same. And they was always singing in the back of your mind. Everybody meet the face. Can we talk about Road to Hell and how that's like such a great introduction? Into oh, my goodness. I, you know, I love a good opening number, but this uh, there are very few where it's like I hear the first few notes and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm into this. But this one, you got that, you know, amazing jazzy trombone riff that they start off with. And it's like, you know, you're instantly in like this smoky New Orleans club. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be fantastic. Yes. <laughs> no, the trombone makes it. Uh it just immediately I was like, if this is the music for the whole show, this is going to be amazing. So, and it was. <laughs> You're kind of seeing a lot of parallels to Great Comet's prologue in this, where you have um, somebody come up and say, okay, this is what's happening. And these are all the characters. Everybody give them a hand. Which is the right thing to do, especially in like a uh, piece that is so like involved in this. Like this doesn't have nearly as many characters as Great Comet. Obviously. But it is still confusing. You know, even if you do have a grounding in the myth, it kind of helps to kind of reorient you in this new setting that they've put it in. And introduce you to, like, the rules, like, I'm Mr. Hermes, I'm gonna guide you through this, and, Mm -hmm. like, Orpheus, you ready to see this is what they look like? Yeah. (laughs) It is a brilliant way, like, to open the show. It, It is right up there with tradition and, like, other, almost every other, like, great opening is like, yep, I'm ready for this, lock me into the roller coaster, let's go. Yep. And again, it's got that fantastic, um, you know, folk music storytelling aspect. You know, it's like, you know, once upon a time there was a railroad line and it just starts, you know, painting this beautiful picture for you. I guess not so beautiful because everything is kind of gray and depressing and Great Depression, but you get the idea. It's jazzy. It is is very jazzy. (laughs) It's, It's the good kind of jazz. It's before jazz got super pretentious, you know. It's it's that jazz. It was before Damien Chazelle got his hands on jazz. You're not gonna go yeah. all. Um, you're not all gonna go all Sebastian and La La Land on me, are you? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what I'm talking about. It's before that. Okay. <laughs> before white people got involved. No way. Oh, there was white people in the 30s. Get out of here. There's way too many of them. Well, it's like he said, I'm an outdoor girl. Trying to enjoy myself 
let's talk about living it up on top. This is where we're introduced to um, Persephone as and in her role as basically the queen of the summertime. And she brings the wine and she brings the party and, you know, everybody's, you know, having fun. And even if they don't have an overabundance, they have just enough of everything. And that's enough. So they party and have fun. Hell and it shows yeah. everyone's relationships with one another. Like, I think this is where it's cemented, like, in the world. Like, how everyone feels about Persephone, how Orpheus feels about Eurydice, how Eurydice feels about everyone else. Like, you get the feeling of everyone's relationships here. And you also get a sense of Orpheus's idealism. Um, you know, how he talks about, you know, we if we share, we will always have enough. And to the world we dream about. And just trying to imagine things as better than what they are. So. I think it's a great song. It's a uh, it's pretty catchy too, and it has Amber Gray singing it. So how can you lose? Amber Gray could literally sing the phone book at me, and <laughs> I would. Jess has weird fantasies. Right? <laughs> she has this amazing rasp to her that doesn't sound like it hurts her to sing, though. Like even when Eartha Kitt sings, like it sounds like it's hurting her. Amber Gray sings, and it feels like it's bringing elation to her. And she has an innate sexuality about this character. Um, unlike her character in Great Comet, which is just beaming with sexuality. Like at one point she's like making out with another woman. Like that one is a sexual character, whereas hers is more like, n- like naturally sexy in the same way that kind of like a Mama Rose is sexy. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, you can feel that she's kind of weighed down and broken with how her relationship with Hades has fallen apart. So there's definitely a lot of nuance to that, which, you know, obviously you didn't have with Helene in Great Comet because she was, you know, a very objectively awful person. All I've ever known is how to hold my own All I've ever known is how to hold my own But now I want to hold you Now I want to hold you Hold you close I don't want to ever have to let you go What do you think about Eurydice's I Want song that follows it up? And I find the structure of this show so strange. <laughs> well, it's a concept album first, yeah. right? Did they change the order of anything? Um, they added more than they switched around. They have added, they have expanded and added and changed around some things, but the basic structure is the same. But yeah, all I've ever known, um, I think, is just this, you know, very beautiful folk ballad. Um, and it's got some of, I think, some of my favorite uh, lyrics at the very beginning, um, where and I'm going to paraphrase this. She says, you know, I was cold so long, I didn't even know I was cold. I've been alone so long, I didn't even know I was lonely. And you just kind of feel that ache and hollowness in her and how much she wants to believe um, that Orpheus could be, you know, uh, could be her love and could be uh, part of a better life for her. What do you think, Andrew? Well, in the original Greek myth, Eurydice is a prop. And the fact that they add so much nuance, so much idealism, so much, like, she is wide-eyed but not stupid. Like, I love what they did with this character, and I'm surprised that they were able to do it without betraying what the original Greek myth was trying to do. Right. I think Ignatius Mitchell really knocked it out of the park, especially with Eurydice and Persephone. Yeah, I think this is. Um, I think this is a lot more about Eurydice's journey than it is about Orpheus's, because you know he. He kind of gets takes a beating at the end, but she's the one who kind of you know goes through this you know, transition of being, you know, this hard realist to, you know, being, 
having, you know, being more idealistic, but still practical to being disillusioned and then just kind of broken. I feel like adding a lot more character to her makes the ending a lot sadder. And uh, it's not just because for Orpheus either, because now it's now she's she's the one that gets the real punishment. Sound of my husband coming for to bring me home to Hades Town. Let's move on to Way Down Hades Town, which is so fun, but also so sad. I love this song. This is a ton of fun. It's so dark because this is um, officially our introduction to Hades. Like, he leers over the entire show, but this is where he finally enters. And, like, the yeah. entrance where she's like, you're early. And he's like, I missed you. Oh, my Just goodness. Just shows yeah. the relationship between these two with only one word, with one statement each. Yeah, and it's, you know, Patrick Page, you know, he's got three words, but he in- he invests them, you know, with so much, um, you know, passion and at the same time kind of this creepy possessiveness. And you're like automatically, okay, that's the character right there. Everybody looked and everybody saw it was the same man they'd been singing about. You're early. I missed you. It's perfect. It is. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Page is a stand-up guy, seeming to be a wonderful human being and a fantastic performer. And the first I heard of him was Spider-Man, and then like he wasn't really given the chance to like get his muscles like to stretch. And then you see him as Frollo, and it's like, oh, oh my gosh, like show me more, sir. And now here it's like bringing it all to the table. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. He's come a long way from playing piano on a rooftop. <laughs> that he yes. has. But yeah, if anyone out there has not listened to um, the studio cast of Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, you've got to do that because, um, you know, we all love Tony J as Frollo, but Patrick Page is just all that in a bag of chips. Patrick Page is probably the better Frollo because at least he could hit notes. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> may you rest in peace tony J. but the other thing i really like about this that is added in the more recent productions is the connection between hades and eurydice to set up like the conflict that they will have later on in the story yeah he they kind of have this moment where they look at each other before um hermes you know uh, blows the whistle and yells all aboard and you're kind of like okay this is gonna get this is not gonna lead anywhere good Whereas he's just kind of using her as a tool to make Persephone jealous, or at least kind of find a tool to, like, get her, like, down there as a replacement, maybe. Right. It's hard to quite know exactly why he's after Eurydice. I think he, you know, I think he, you know, he's he's so desperate to find somebody impressed by this empire that he's built that he, you know, goes looking for somebody who, in his own words, can appreciate a gilded cage. And then he finds somebody who is, you know, cold and desperate and, you know, ready to make a deal with the devil in, you know, both a literal and figurative sense. And he's like, ah. He even calls her a songbird, which we keep in cages. And he uh, calls her a canary in in a mine, which is a really creepy metaphor if you understand what canaries in mines were used for. Uh, when they die, you leave the mine. Essentially, yeah. They were there to, <laughs> they were there to um, be the first warning if the gases got too bad. One of, my, uh, one of my first canaries died in a mine, so I have a real attachment to this show did you make did you make a short film about it? <laughs> wait for me i'm coming 
right, let's talk about Wait For Me, which is basically the theme of the entire story. I like this song a lot, too. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a bad song in the entire show, just out of curiosity? I'm not a very huge fan of Flowers, but um, it's a very solid score all the way around. I think that's like songs that are definitely like filler songs i would say i don't know when you have such a tight studio album like that is an issue that might pop up yeah yeah i don't think there's anything that i would say is bad i've heard some people say that this has been stretched out too much um that it could easily be a one-act show and i can kind of see that in some places but i absolutely love the way they expanded um wait for me from the original um, and gives, you know, Orpheus this additional um, conclusion, you know, where he says, I'm not alone. I can hear the rocks singing to me. And that's where we get, you know, like the fantastic um, choreography and lighting with the lamps swinging around. And it makes for a really good effect there. So, yeah, you can argue about um, the additions pretty much anywhere else, but that's a great one. probably talk about why we build the wall. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, we? we're going to get to the Act 1 finale here, why we build the wall. And um, this is one thing that I think we should restate, um, even though even though I think it's been said several times. This was written in 2010. So, you know, you, can, you hear some, you hear like this big tycoon talking about building a wall to keep out the enemy for freedom and you know, keep away poverty. And that draws some obvious parallels in our current climate. But, you know, it's kind of something that kind of happened after the fact i feel like uh if it was written for that it would probably somewhat lessen the impact because then it's just a purely political statement but it obviously is not so no it's not uh that is um, not the case. Yeah, uh, she kind of meant it in a more general sense of, you know, the walls we built to, you know, keep keep other people out and, you know, kind of protect our little kingdoms all around us. So it's kind of... More of an emotional wall yeah. than, a, than a literal wall. Yes. Especially um, in the case of Hades, I think, where he's building it to keep in the person he loves, basically. Not really to keep things out, I don't think. So it's not really a good parallel, but if you just listen to it on a very basic level, then yes, Donald Trump Mm -hmm. exists. (laughs) Donald Trump is trying to keep Melania from escaping, so he's got to build the wall. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised, but Hades Hades is a much more sympathetic character than that. So that is true. (laughs) Well, Hades isn't a buffoon. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's what I said initially. Yeah, yeah, he's a lot smart. He's a lot smarter. As well, and he's a, probably a better businessman as well. Pretty much. Has Hades Town ever gone bankrupt? As far as we know, no. <laughs> Has it ever been sued when he tried Hades University? <laughs> he doesn't need his he doesn't need his steaks um, well done with ketchup either. Oh, God. <laughs> well done with ketchup. <laughs> oh no. I got sunshine up on the shelf. Allow me to introduce my. Brother, what's my name? My name is Our Lady of the Underground. So can we talk about Our Lady of the Underground and how it is like one of the best Act 2 openings ever? (laughs) 
We can. Again, Amber Gray is all things beautiful. And um, again, I love, you know, how she kind of opens this up with, I don't know about you. I can't do it. But, you know, she has. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can I cannot do. What I don't Amber know Gray about is. you boys. There you go. That's it. <laughs> and she just go comes in already sounding like at least two sheets to the wind, um, <laughs> but in a very good way. And it's just a great way, um, introduction. Ow! about you boys and again i like that they've kind of adapted the catholic our lady for this um greek mythical character and also i talk about musical theater structure way too much on this goddamn podcast but um (laughs) musical theater by nature the first song in act two basically shouldn't have anything to do with the plot, shouldn't push the story forward, is a time when everyone should be sitting the hell down and fun, basically. Like, Hamilton makes a joke out of this by turning into, like, what did I miss? Which is what every audience member asks as soon as they sit down. So this one is the perfect one where it is both fun, character building, and you don't really miss a ton if you, like, miss this song, but you're missing a lot of fun if you do. It's not missing the the plot, but you're... Missing the names of the trumpeters. All the people that forgot to take poops are missing this song. <laughs> you take them before the show, not in the middle. <laughs> well, Buy our musical is... with, with cheese uh, mm-hmm. theater-going kit. It includes uh, <laughs> laxatives that you can use right before. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love how she has the speak as he only instead of, you know, like illegal booze, she's kind of bringing in, you know, like the things from nature, the sun and the rain and the sky and moon sh- and literal moonshine as in the light of the moon. I think that's a neat way of um, reinterpreting that because that's what the people in the underworld want, need and want the most. And there's also a reference to pay-per-view, which is a little weird, but also adds to like the don't don't matter what time it takes place in. Yeah, there's also that little element of, you know, kind of this kind of almost like a little peep show that she's got going on as, you know, gross as that sounds. But yeah, she, you know, tells them, look, look into the crack in the wall to, you know, see the moon and the sky. And it, you know, it's kind of almost got this racy element to it moonshine is just rebranded sunshine it's just a corporate scheme it's it's racy without being vulgar which is very good to ride Uh, exactly see this act two is where i feel a lot of like that inflation of the story come into play like in act one it's like okay we need to build up these characters but here, it really, like, the conflict Orpheus is feeling is really difficult to feel emotionally connected to. How many reprises do we have in the second part here? A lot. But <laughs> there's some things like the chant reprise, which I really love. And also, um, you know, the final reprise of Epic, which brings things full circle, because that is the song that Orpheus is working on. Um, and, you know, he presents it in its um, a more or less completed form to Hades. And and, um, and Hades sues him for uh, stealing his intellectual property. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> he could have. <laughs> Eurydice sues him for writing a story too close to reality. <laughs> <laughs> and he has to change the song, If I I Could Be In Love With Someone Like You, to Shook's the Goddess. And it's a mess. It's, 
It's a big mess. Where did you get that melody? I really like the relationship that Hades has with Orpheus in the very few scenes they have together. I love the parallel between the two characters because these are ultimately two guys who um, have their um, who have the women in their lives telling them this is what I need from you, and they are you know off doing something else. <laughs> completely yeah that's pushing them away i think that like let's say that hades and persephone weren't there in the show and it was just an orpheus and eurydice straight story it doesn't work you have to have that reflecting couple like it's so strange that in a story that tells the orpheus and eurydice story they are the secondary couple <laughs> they are the adol annie essentially um but yeah i think you know you have you know the younger innocent couple and then you kind of have the older more cynical couple and how they um, react to each other and, you know, reflect each other's circumstances, I think is really where the heart of this story is. And it's also kind of like a mirror image of what they could be, like what Orpheus and Eurydice might become if they don't figure their shit out. Yeah, it's and that's almost explicitly stated in um, the bargain that Hades offers them because he, you know, you know, he expects um, Orpheus to give in to doubt and mistrust and fear because those are Hades' own um, weaknesses. That's what he has been fighting this whole time is the doubt and mistrust and the fear that Persephone is not going to be there when he turns around. Mm-hmm. Which Orpheus eventually proves true. Why did he turn around? <laughs> I don't know. The, the bargain doesn't make a huge amount of sense. There's no upside to turning around. You could just walk the whole way and then wait and then turn around. And if How long came, is that came. walk, though? If it's three days. Like, yeah, it's, I, a, I don't, it's a very long walk. That would just be difficult in a, uh, like, how do I physically prevent myself from turning around kind of way. <laughs> Yeah, you're kind of getting, you're kind of getting into okay. So what happens if she needs to stop or I need to stop? Do we kind of signal each other? Does she throw a rock at the back of my head? Um, what are we doing here? Like my first question is, can I communicate with her? Can I be like, hey, Eurydice, <laughs> are you still feet, there? Right? And she's like, yes. <laughs> are you still there? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Communication is important in a relationship. <laughs> Again, Orpheus is a bit of a space case, so I think I can see where he would not be asking the important questions. Can they hold hands? Can he? Or like, can she his... like put his ha- her hands on his shoulders? Yeah, they they do the cha 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 all the way up. The- <laughs> <laughs> Again, again, I don't think they're supposed to, but again, it is not specifically stated. And that's one of those things you have to keep in mind when you're making these kind of bargains. You have to be very literal about it. It's like, okay, I can't look at her, but, you know, maybe I can have this rope that we can tug on each other or we can sit, talk or... And I like to have a mirror with me? Yeah, can can she stomp her feet really loud? And, like, does he accidentally turn around at the end and, like, see her before she got all the way up? Is that what happened? Or did he actually turn around because he was doubting it? I think, you know, at, I think it kind of goes with the version where he gets to the th- the threshold of the living world and then, you know, he can't wait another second and turns around, but she's, they're not all the way out yet. So, so why he would ca- he do that? Because he... <laughs> Because he's jumping the gun on it. <laughs> he's a dummy. It just, it's it's almost like an accidental thing where it's like, does that really that really counts? Like apparently he made it all the way to the top. Like what that doesn't count. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Another issue I have with this is the fact that since we spent so much time in Hades Town, it is just kind of like weird, like 
not quite post-apocalyptic, like, just town. It's hard to, like, be like, oh, I'm so sad to see her go back to that yeah. place where Persephone comes and we'll probably take care of her why doesn't, why doesn't Orpheus just go back, too? I mean... There's not, Is there but, a rule against that? Um, I think, you know, he's he probably wouldn't last 30 seconds there, let's be honest. In the original Greek myth, you know, he kind of falls into this depression after, you know, he loses Eurydice for the second time, and he eventually gets torn apart by um, some women who are followers of Dionysus who are, you know, drunk and crazy. Dionysus is pretty cool. Like, if he Andrew took the Greek god test, like, he would be Dionysus. I can see it right now. I'm not sure if this translates well, but in the original Greek myth, he had to, like, play his loot all the way out of there as yeah, well. Yeah, he, he I, like... I think he might have had to do that. <laughs> he also had to play his loot all the way down because that was pretty much the only way he was getting through because um, that was how, um, you know... Cerberus, um, you know, kind of lays down and lets him pass and how um, Charon, you know, lets him on the boat and, um, you know, all the, you know, gateways and guards of the underworld just kind of let him pass. And that's hand waved away in this musical. <laughs> they just let me go. How come Chiron wasn't wasn't the uh, or Karen or however it's pronounced? Why was he not the conductor <laughs> of the train? Probably would have been an extra character that the musical didn't need. But neat. I think that's my personal headcanon. Now he's the engineer. Now, how do we all think about the ending? Because it is bittersweet, but also triumphant in a way. It is. Um, I like to think that, um, you know, Orpheus did kind of, you know, do what he set out to do in bringing back the spring and kind of restored the natural order by kind of getting um, Hades and Persephone to give their relationship another shot and, you know, not keep dragging her down to the underworld at the first opportunity. Yeah, but at the same time, he doesn't get his happy ending. I like that they start singing the the opening song again. I also, I know this is like calling back to like the beginning again, and that's probably not good for structure wise. But another thing I really like is how they kind of play with your expectations with that opening number. And it's like, instead of saying it's a sad song, like it's a song about it. Like there's a rhyme that sets it up for you to think that it's like going to rhyme with dies, but instead they change it to tries. Right. It's a song about story about someone who tries, which sets up this ending very, very, very well. Yeah. And it also, you know, comes back full circle um, where he says, you know, we tell the story as if it might come out this time, which I think, you know, is kind of the function of the story is kind of like saying, okay, you know, this is a sad story, um, but we can learn from it and we can try again and we can hopefully not make the keep not not keep making these same mistakes. Learn from the past as opposed to repeat. Exactly. Now, who gets the worst tragedy, Orpheus or Eurydice at the end? Eurydice. Really? <laughs> it depends how bad Hades Town is. Well, yeah, well, I guess that is true. And if it does get better um, after um, Orpheus leaves, which, you know, is a possibility. But she gets, scre- she gets screwed over because he ca- he messed up. But so. really, it's all well, Hades' Well, she messed up first. <laughs> she did mess up first, to be to, yeah. To well, be that fair. is true. That is true. So yeah, it's probably kind of not to point figures. <laughs> it's probably kind it's of kind a of wash both. between them then. Yeah. But as they said, he's someone who tries. <laughs> I tried, Eurydice. Should have tried harder. One job, Orpheus. <laughs> One just job. Just kept your eyes closed. I mean, come on. <laughs> Blindfold. That's blinded what he yourself, Oedipus store style. Bird box your way out of there, bitch. Doubt comes in. Yeah.
reaching the end of the show. What is your overall thoughts on Hades Town? Christy, you go first. It is the best musical of the season, and I will riot if it does not win the Tony. People think that Tootsie's the front runner, though. I've heard like a Tootsie people... roll. No, as in like the '80s comedy with Dustin Hoffman, where he dresses like a girl. I've heard people say Tootsie is the front runner. I've heard people say this is the front runner. I've heard people say the prom is the front runner. But honestly, I think this is the best musical of the year. So, and Andrew, what are your thoughts? I thought it was very good, and I would really recommend it. I don't know the other shows of the season, so I can't say if it's the best one or not, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> How's it compared to the other things I've made you watch on this show? It's in the it's definitely in the top top five. And don't make me list five because I'm not gonna be able to. <laughs> but it's definitely in the top five. <laughs> We're pushing fifty episodes now, so I know. I can't believe I've watched so many musicals. <laughs> And there are so many more to watch. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. (laughs) Andrew, what is your cheese rating? uh, I'm going to give it a feta cheese. Why? Because it's a good Greek cheese. Okay, what about you, Christy? I I swear to God, I was going to rate it feta cheese, too, because obviously it's Greek. It's got this, you know, kind of good, um, homey feel to it. And, you know, there are probably a few people who are probably not, who are probably going to find it, you know, too strong for their tastes. But I find it very excellent and uh, good food. So, (laughs) well, mine is so main train because it has the word train in it. Jesus Christ, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) You could have picked something from like New Orleans or something like that. To like counter the Greek cheese we did, but instead you just pick one that has train in the name. <laughs> oh, it's got a train in it. Can you believe this guy? Like for real. This is our host. Well, you know what I think about that, Andrew? You're about to shill. He's about to shill. Guys. Shill away. <laughs> I think. That today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese. Christy, I'm so glad you came on. I'm sure you've got a lot of things you want to promote, so go ahead and promote them. Uh, main thing is musicalhell.com where you can find all my videos. Uh, you can also look up musical hell on youtube i do my reviews of terrible musicals and i also do uh know the score and at the source which are some kind of slightly less deep dives on better musicals i love that show i highly recommend it it's good watch thank you for coming on again yeah it's well, always thank you great for having, having me love being here what did we talk about the first time we, we talked about the she loves me. shazam musical right yeah shazam the musical <laughs> <laughs> Well, I brought up chocolate cheese and y'all both looked at me like I was a fucking idiot. Oh, right. <laughs> and now you bring up the train cheese that no one's ever heard of, Jess. <laughs> well, uh. Andrew has tried chocolate cheese since then. Oh, yeah. If you wanted a conclusion on that, it tastes like fudge. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
if you are waiting on the edge of your seat for that. Either way, thank you guys for listening. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, at Musicals with Cheese. Our Twitter is at Cheesy Musical. Support us on Patreon at Musicals with Cheese. Our Instagram is also Musicals with Cheese, as well as our YouTube page. Send us an email at MusicalTheaterLives at gmail.com. Tell us whether you love us, hate us, all the above. Our title card is created by Jolene Casco. Follow her on Instagram at Jolene Casco. Anything else you guys want to say before we wrap this on up? Thank you and have a good evening. Thank you and have a good morning uh, if you're listening to this in the morning instead. Whatever time of day you're listening to it, have a good one. And have a great afternoon. (laughs) And in case I don't see you... Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.